Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today's lesson is on the Dampire race. This is part of our race overview series where we go over all the possible player races. And yet again, we've come across a race that has a questionably pronounced name. Is it Dampire or Dampier? I've always we'll said know. Dampier. It's probably Dampire because they're supposed to be half vampire. But, you know, my mind is a tricky, elusive thing. <laughs> this is part of the advanced race guide these guys are introduced and it allows players really to be able to play a vampire without being op <laughs> yeah have you ever looked at the vampire template and just been like "Ooh, no <laughs> none of that <laughs> this is actually one of the few ones that i'm actually going to read a little bit of what paizo has written about them so there, I guess, I don't know why I brought that up now, since I'm not going to be doing that right now. I guess that's a little taste, guys, a little hint. Hey, maybe you'll listen to the rest of the episode, because who knows what that's going to be. Oh, listener retention. I guess we should mention that in the Pathfinder universe, well, in actually in our universe, our real world, and, you know, the lore people have made up in the real world, vampires come in many different forms. You have sparkly vampires, a la Twilight. You have your Nosferatu, really ugly, decrepit, decaying vampires. You got your uh, Gary Oldman type vampires. Um, which ones are existing in the Pathfinder universe? The answer is all of yes. those exist in the <laughs> Pathfinder universe as well. It started out obviously with the, the the vampire as just kind of like the blade sort of vampire. Which, man, I love that sh movie. I, those movies, even though I know it's Wesley Snipes and I know it's terrible, I love it. Uh, but it, later on, the bestiaries they came out, oh, now you could be Nosferatu and stuff like that. And then they gave rules for, like, when you bite somebody but you don't quite turn them, you kind of just feed off of them and a template you get for being fed on. Different cool stuff like that. But some of what they look like, all right? They're tall. They're slender. They're well-defined. Vampires look like statuesque humans of unearthly beauty. Nice descriptor. Their hair, eye, and skin colors resemble unnerving versions of their mothers. Many possess a ghastly pal pallor. Pallor. I I guess that means, like, palette of, of color. Google is here to save the day. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Pallor is an... Wait, wait, wait. Is Google also Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones? <laughs> you came by on a whip on a branch and said that pallor is an unhealthy, pale appearance. Bam, kind of nailed it. Particularly in the sunlight. While those with dark complexions often possess skin, the color of a bruise. Oh, that's kind of creepy. I like that. All many vampires can pass as humans in ideal conditions. Their features are inevitably more pronounced, and they move with an unnaturally fluid grace. All vampires have elongated scissors. While not true fangs, these teeth are sharp enough to draw blood, and many suffer a reprehensible desire to indulge in sanguinary delights. Despite the fact that the act provides most no physical benefit, sanguinary... I know it's got to be about drinking blood. What's that all about? To find that word for me, come back, Google Harrison Jones. Harrison I mean, it Jones. just it means Harrison <laughs> Jones. Unless I've been playing a little too much Hearthstone. Uh, I mean, it just means involving blood. Oh, I need to. I need to get. A, I need to get a bigger range of words. I, I bet there's a word for a bigger range of words. You need, need a larger uh, lexicon. Yeah. Ooh, good. You have, you have a lot of points in linguistics, don't you? <laughs> They're between 5 feet and 6 foot 6 inches, and they weigh between 130 and 220 pounds. Here's where we get to a little bit of confusion. The chart that I've gotten, I've gotten all the age, height, and weights, that's the, that is the Pathfinder reference document, right? That one says that vampires have lived the same length as a human, but not according to this other site. I don't have the book in front of me. I don't know which one's right. 
Ooh. Well, this one, according to this one, that they reach a hundred in ten years is adulthood, whereas the other thing says it's a human, which is fifteen. Hmm. So I don't know which one is correct. Uh, when I finish moving, I will take out my book and tweet the answer. But until then, you guys have to look at the book or something because there is conflicting information between the PFSRD and the Pathfinder reference document. I, I'd say go with the Pathfinder one, honestly. So we're not sure, but actually we're going to reference the description, which actually is going to be one of the only ones I actually read because I think it actually puts something really good in here. So I'm going to read part of the description here. The half-living children of vampires birthed by human females, vampires are progenies of both horror and tragedy. The circumstances of a vampire's conception are often called into question, but scarcely understood, as few mortal mothers survive the childbirth. Those who do often abandon their monstrous children and refuse to speak of the manner. While some speculate that vampires result when mortal women couple with vampires, others claim that they form when a pregnant woman suffers a vampire bite. Some particularly zealous scholars even contest vampires' status as a unique race, instead of viewing them as humans suffering from an unholy affliction. Indeed, this hypothesis is strengthened by the vampires' seeming inability to reproduce. Their offspring inevitably humans, usually sorcerers with the undead bloodline. Regardless, they live and die just like any other mortal creatures, despite possessing a supernatural longevity akin to that of elves. Hardship and suffering fill a vampire's formative years. That's the part I wanted to read, but that part there just says that they have a supernatural longevity. So that makes me think it's gotta be the longer part. I'm trying to remember, because we did read the one book... That had a damp here in it. Yeah, and she, she, they said that she only looked like she was like maybe 30, and she said she was like 70. That's right, Bloodbound. Yes. Listen to that episode if you're really interested in vampires, because the main character, who I think is awesome, uh, was a vampire. It was a very, it was a very interesting look at the vampires and vampires in government and things like that. So that would fit with elves. So I'm going to read the elves' ages. That's 110 to be adult, middle age 175, 263 for old, venerable 350, and 350 plus 40 percentile years for your maximum age. I'd imagine they'd probably be a little bit shorter, but there you go. No one, no one's come to this podcast to see how old you can be. All right, so let's <laughs> stop spending so much time on it. But I do really like the flavor. Before we get into anything else so far, I really like that flavor of. No one's actually really sure about vampires, whether whether or not it's called per vampire or vampire. They're not sure about that either. But they also can't figure out how they even come about. It's kind of myth and legend. What did you? Was your mother? Did she couple with a vampire or was she bit? Is it even a race or is it an affliction? Kind of like a lesser form of vampirism. What is it? No one really knows. But I like the idea that few mortal mothers survive the childbirth. I like the idea that. Most of them are going to be orphans. If the mothers survive, they're giving them away. Otherwise, the mothers have died in childbirth. So that kind of adds an interesting um, range to it. I really like that, and I definitely like to take that right from the book. I don't like to add too much more to the story of vampires as they are. A race with a predisposition toward dead parents leads to great PCs. Hey, listen, shut up. I made a great PC that we'll talk about later, but let's talk about right now what the listeners have tuned in for because I can read their minds. I know what they're here for, and it's not my charming personality, and it certainly isn't yours. It's for that info, son. So let's talk about their character statistics. Their ability to score racial traits is that they're fast and seductive, but their racial bond to the undead impedes their mortal vigor. Man, they write some good sentences. Plus two dex, plus two charisma, and minus two constitution. Which is interesting, because any actual undead don't get a constitution. Yeah. Um, Dampiers are humanoids with the Dampier subtype. This is interesting. Ooh. You don't actually have the undead subtype. You aren't truly a vampire. You actually have the specific Dampier subtype. So, the, according to that, they are their own race. They are their own thing. 
They're medium creatures. They have a base speed of 30 feet. They begin play speaking common. If you have a high intelligence score, you can choose any language you want except for Druidic. Makes sense kind of if you're adopted or if you just lived life. There was no like real heritage that goes through all Dampire. So it's whatever language fits your backstory, yes. Dampiers have undead resistance and receive a plus two racial bonus on saving throws against disease and mind-affecting effects. So the undead are immune to these things. I like the idea that I get some bonus against them. There is resist level drain, where you take no penalties from energy drain effects, though you can still be killed if you accrue more negative levels than you have hit dice. After 24 hours, any negative levels a vampire takes are removed without the need for an additional saving throw. So this is very powerful. Some yes. monsters in the Bishiri that are high CR, kind of their bread and butter is, I'll, make, I'll, I'll give them negative levels so that I can survive this battle. So the fact that you're like, okay, whatever, it doesn't matter to me, unless you give me 10, I'm going to be cool. Dampiers have manipulative. They gain a plus two racial bonus on bluff and perception checks. Oh, perception. <laughs> Look at that. Wow. <laughs> they have a spell-like ability. They can use detect undead three times per day as a spell-like ability. The caster level for this equals the Dampire's class level. This kind of fits with a lot of what we read in that book, Bloodbound and other kind of lore. They like the idea that Dampires end up becoming... Matter of fact, um, I'm playing a Dampire character... And my GM bought a book that has expanded info on the Dampires, published by Paizo. Uh, it was a paperback, not a hardback. And that had more info, more about how most Dampires become undead hunters. Because they can naturally tell where they are with this spell-like ability. And they pretty much, like, they, they, they're very angry at the fact that they're ostracized from society because of their parents. So they go and try to fight and hunt their dad. So this, this spell-like ability is very interesting. Can't wait. You know, once they have both parents deceased, they can reach true PC status. <sighs> okay, all right. Well, talk to me about dark vision. They have it, and it's 60 feet dark vision. They have low vision, in addition to their ability to see perfectly in the dark up to 60 feet. They can see twice as far as humans in conditions of dim light. I thought dark vision kind of included low light vision. So is this like, it's, yeah, it's unless strange it gets to have completely both. dark, if it's dim, you're just like a human? I don't think so. I mean... Strange. Uh, yeah, well, having both is very weird. Never thought of it like that. Perhaps they have this because uh, they have a racial trait later that replaces dark vision. That way they don't have to write it in there. I don't know. But they also have one of kind of something that's unique. I'm not sure if we got into any racial traits that actually impart a weakness, but there is one here. There's uh, two, actually. They have light sensitivity, which means they're dazzled in areas of bright sunlight or within the radius of a daylight spell. They also have... This is actually the most important one. This is the main thing to think about if you're building a Dampier character. They have negative energy affinity. Though Dampiers are living creatures, a Dampier reacts to positive and negative energy as if it were undead. Positive energy harms it, while negative energy heals it. This is super defining. I don't think there's any other trait that we've come across yet in all the core and in the featured race we've done so far... They're as defining as this one is. This is just hard to get around. You know, when you have your cleric or paladin in the group, you're not an evil thing, but by nature you're undead and you cannot receive healing the same as everyone else. Listen, clerics, please very quickly pick that thing that allows you to choose people that you don't heal. This is the kind of thing where it's like you're going to have to have your own wand all the time, hope you have a caster that can cast it of cure, of, of inflict, you know, light wounds, get some stuff that helps you hear naturally. There's different things that you kind of, when you magically heal, you're like, I don't need this, these bandages that help make me heal twice my level instead of one my level per eight hours. But now you're going to need that kind of stuff. 
so let's talk about some alternate racial traits. There's only three. There's Dayborn. You just your name becomes Blade. It's that simple. <laughs> There's nothing you do about it. But a few fortunate vampires are born during the day under the blessing of priests, and their blood has weaker ties to the undead blind bloodline than others of their kind. Such vampires unhindered by daylight and lose the light sensitivity racial trait. The racial trait replaces the spell-like ability racial trait. Wow. I like this idea. I like the idea of being blessed by priests. Like, if you were adopted, there's, like, a stereotype of the nuns, you know, taking you. And they take, like, this demon baby, undead baby thing kind of thing. But they're they're kind of trying to raise it with some holy energies kind of thing. Typically, to get this uh, on other races we've seen light sensitivity on, you have to lose your dark vision. They keep the dark vision, and they're not affected by sunlight. So that's really good. Uh, when I built my vampire, I absolutely took this because uh, I didn't really care about the spell like ability. It's a level zero spell, so you can just get a wand. Sure. <laughs> Replace your own racial heritage with a piece of wood. <laughs> the next alternate racial trait is fangs. This also replaces detect undead. Whenever the dampier makes a grapple combat maneuver check to damage an opponent, he can choose to bite his opponent, dealing 1d3 points of damage as if using a natural bite attack. As a standard action, the Dampier can bite a creature that is bound, helpless, paralyzed, or similarly unable to defend itself. This apparently gives you no kind of benefit, but if you really just want to bite someone who's helpless, you can. We'll see it build with some feats later on. But let me make that clear. So they have a natural bite attack that's 1d3 points of damage. Wouldn't that be a standard attack anyway, even if the person isn't bound, helpless, or paralyzed? Well, from what I'm understanding of the wording here, they don't have a natural attack. Specifically, when they are grappling someone and they make the check gotcha. to damage someone under grapple, they can choose to make an attack as if they had a natural bite attack. But I don't actually have this natural bite attack to use right. whenever I want. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Then there's vampiric empathy. This replaces manipulative. So it replaces perception. It better be good. Uh, the, though vampires often relate poorly to humanoids, some share an affinity with baser creatures. These vampires gain the ability to communicate with bats, rats, and wolves, as if under the effects of a twilight spell. I'm sorry, speak with animal spell. Uh, and it, the caster level equals actually half of your vampire's level. In addition, they gain plus two racial bonus on diplomacy checks when dealing with these animals. Whenever these vampires inter- initiate an exchange, animals begin with a starting attitude of indifferent. Speak with animals, just let you speak with them. It doesn't make them friendlier to you, but you can talk to them. It doesn't make them any smarter is the important thing to remember. Oh man, Neil Erickson, I've mentioned it a couple times, he goes by Koibu, does this hilarious thing where they, they kind of, there was a spell speak with fish, and they use it, and he wasn't thinking about it, and he's like, oh crap, I have to pretend to be a fish. And they're like, ha, you have to do the fish face. So he did the entire conversation with fish face, which made him be like, oh, he was trying to do weird noises just so he didn't break the fish face. He's like, oh, I'm a fish. It was <laughs> the best. And he played the fish to a T. When they finally uh, got the answer, it's like there's a big dragon underneath the water, and they had to get an answer about the dragon of the water. He's like, is there a big dragon down there? It's like, no, but there's a big worm. Does the worm have wings and a tail? Yeah. And stuff like that. But he's finally like, all right, thanks for all the answers. What can I do for you? And he's like, um, put me back in the water. That was, that was what it wanted. <laughs> you guys should definitely listen to that. Maybe I'll find the episode and link it in the description. He's great. Um, he does a funny thing. But anyway, so you get the ability to speak with animals. Um, I think just because of the flavor of it, it is worth it if you, if you wanted to grab that way. I think they're both pretty equal. No, you can look at it as like, those are actually very useful things to talk to. Um, rats are all around, say, cities. They go everywhere. They see a lot of stuff. If you can word stuff correctly and get them to tell you what they see, it's very useful. That is it. We've, we've got the alternate racial traits. Um, Man, we thought 
cat folk didn't get a lot of stuff. Yeah, but this these guys have been supported. There is books about them. So if you want additional things about them, you totally can get it um, from the different books. But let's talk about... I know one of the things you can... One of the interesting things they released later is what I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. You can actually be a Dampier whose stats reflect the different types of vampires that we know. There's like Nosferatu-born, where you get more more strength but less charisma because you're ugly. There's there's... cool Asian ones that have like the anti-death magic seal paper parchment all over them. They do have a couple racial archetypes. There's the Kuromancer? Kuromancer? Kuromancer, I think it is. Kuromancer. It's a wizard. And the Kinslayer Inquisitor, which I'm sure is the guy hunting down different wizards. That was that what uh, what's her face was in Bloodlines? What was her name? Oh gosh, it's been so long since I read Larsa. Yeah, was that Larsa? You claim to like her so much. <laughs> was she an Inquisitor? No, definitely not an Inquisitor. What was she? I if I had to guess, I would say a Ranger of some kind. Gotcha, gotcha. Hi, I'm Caleb. And I'm Dom. And I'm David, and we're a part of the Trailblazers podcast. What is Trailblazers, you're asking yourself right now? Well, our podcast is difficult to describe. Yeah, it's kind of like a Senate meeting, except with less filibusters and more rolling for initiative. It's like going to the movies, except instead of watching professional actors create compelling storylines, you're listening to a bunch of guys just pretending to be professional actors. It's sort of like going skiing with your friends. If your friends were able to cast spells, wield swords, and there was no skiing involved. It's like going to court, but with less arguing and... Wait, no. There's probably about the same amount of arguing. It's like going to the bank, but instead of tellers behind the windows, it's just three guys role-playing. So if any of that sounds good to you, then you'll love our actual play podcast where we get together and play the Pathfinder role-playing game. We'd love to have you guys join us every Tuesday right here on the Trailblazer Network. Hope to see you there. So wait, it's just a couple of guys playing Dungeons & Dragons? No, 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 are no, you no, crazy? It's called Pathfinder. What, are you trying to get a suit? So let's talk about their feats. The first one cuts right to the point of what you want these feats to do, and I know it's what you want them to do. It's what you're looking for. It's a blood drinker. Yes, you can drink blood. Yes! There is no special prerequisites. Uh, You choose one humanoid subtype, such as goblinoid. This subtype cannot be dampier. You have acquired a taste for blood of the creatures with this subtype. Whenever you drink fresh blood... From such a creature, you can you can gain five temporary hit points and a plus one bonus on checks and saves based on constitution. This effect lasts for one hour. If you feed multiple times, you continue to gain hit points to a maximum of five temporary hit points for every three hit dice you have, but the constitution-based skill checks does not stack. Normally, you can only drink blood from an opponent who is helpless, grappled, paralyzed, pinned, unconscious, or similarly disabled. If you have a bite attack... You can drink blood automatically as part of your bite attack. Otherwise, you must first cut your target by dealing one hit point of damage with a slashing or piercing weapon. Once you cut the target, you can drink from its wound as a standard action. Drinking blood deals two points of constitution damage to the creature you feed upon. The blood must come from a living creature of the specified humanoid subtype. It cannot come from a dead or summoned creature. Feeding on unwilling intelligent creatures is an evil act. Now... I said there was no prerequisites, but from what it sounds like, you need the fangs. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Thing, because it it says normally you can only drink blood from someone's helpless, grappled, or paralyzed, and that was the wording of the fangs. Right, you actually don't need fangs. That's why they mentioned uh, you have to cut them first. So if you do have the fangs, alternate racial trait, instead of cutting them, you can just bite them. Um, What I find ridiculous here is that if I'm reading this correctly, it says if you just happen to have a bite attack, you can drink as part of your bite attack. Okay, that's cool. You have to get a bite attack from somewhere else. 
And then, like, it has that big paragraph at the end. It says, drinking blood deals two points of constitution damage to the creature you feed upon. Does that include the bite attack wand in addition to the cutting them and drinking it? Because if so, that's absolutely ridiculous. There's no save. Yeah, but can you think of a single way aside from temporary spells that you can get a bite attack as a vampire? Um, barbarians. Ah, you're uh, right. Beast totem. Uh, natural weapon. You're right. You're right. Does it? Definitely. It's not easy though. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's easy, but uh, I would do it for two points of. Yeah, constitution damage per bite, sure. no save. But I, I, the only thing I don't like is the restriction on you have to pick a humanoid subtype. I, I understand this to make it not too powerful, right? But that seems. Well, I have some good news for you. There are some feats because this is a feat chain, Woo. and one of them involves biting things that aren't humanoid. Yes. So Wait, what? Th- like, yes, I yes, can bite yes, oozes yes. and drink them. Let's talk about blood salvage. You do not need to drink blood from a living creature to gain its healing benefits. You can use your blood drinker feet on a... Oh, by the way, you need blood drinker, of course. You can use that feet on a dead creature of the appropriate humanoid subtype. The creature must have died less than six hours beforehand. So you can kill something and then do it afterwards. You're not going to get the bonus constitution, but you're going to get those bonus hit points. Um, those bonus <laughs> temporary hit points, and then some of if you have some of these other feats, it will build upon it. I will leave them to ripen. I'll be back later. Don't touch them. <laughs> These two feats alone I don't think is really good. I don't know how often I really need after a battle's over to get five temporary hit points. Yeah. Um, I mean, or spend an entire turn in combat to be like, hey, I'll get to the next guy in a second. I'm going to go drink this guy's blood instead of finding another way to heal. But there is more to this. Tell me about Diverse Palette. This is the one that you want to hear about. Diverse Palette only has a prerequisite of blood drinker, not uh, blood salvage. Choose a humanoid subtype or the monstrous humanoid type. You may use your blood trigger feet on creatures of this subtype or type. Oh, so any humanoid creature. Yep. Or any monstrous type of creature. Okay, I'm still not thinking that's worth two feats, but it is I, interesting. I don't know if um, oozes count as monstrous humanoid, so yeah, I don't think you can get the ooze that you want, but you will get some Aww. variety of different creatures. And you can take this multiple times each time you get a new humanoid subtype. Now there is the final one in this change, and it's Blood Feaster. You need Blood Drinker, and you need BAB of plus six. If you use your blood drinker feet to drain four or more points of constitution from a living creature, it'd be very good with that barbarian build, you gain a plus two bonus on damage rolls and a plus one bonus on strength-based skill checks. This bonus lasts for a number of rounds equal to half your hit dice. It's damage, and damage is always good. This is... I like I like what you're saying with the barbarian, but like when you if you just have blood drinker, you won't have enough to... like. I guess I hope I fight a humanoid. If I fight anything else... It's not going to matter. It's not going to be OP like I want. So I've got to get Diverse Palette to make it even useful. And still, if anything's not monstrous or humanoid, I'm not going to be doing anything. At least Blood Salvage lets, uh, you know, when you do do it, it makes it even worse, though. Yeah, this is interesting, but I can't think of a way to really make use of it outside of role-playing. Mm-hmm. Great role-play, though. Great yeah, flavor. Definitely. Maybe talk to your GM if you're really going to do it. It's not doing a barbarian build. You're just doing some flavor build. Maybe you can combine a couple of these feats into one feat or two feats together. Next, we're getting off the biting feats, and we're moving to Natural Charmer. This requires 17 Charisma. That's a lot. You could take 20 on any Charisma-based skills to charm, convince, persuade, or seduce humanoids whose attitude is at least friendly to you. Taking 20 still requires 20 times the normal time to perform the skill. Mm-hmm. This is... I'd have to look at, like, what exactly the diplomacy table says, but if someone's already 
already friendly to you. They'll help you with most things that aren't, like, death-defying. Or, and like, anything that they would reasonably do for you. 20 times in normal time, it means you pretty much have to, oh, hey, guys, I'm going to fart around for two hours. I have to take this person out on a date. All right, so I'll be back a couple hours. Don't worry, guys, but at least I know it's going to work. I get to take 20. I mean, no thank you. Finally is Vampiric Companion. This one has been added with the Monster Codex. You need to be a vampire or vampire. You need to have a non-good alignment, and 10 levels in a class that grants a familiar or animal companion. Your animal companion or familiar's type changes to undead. The creature gains your vampire or vampire weakness and fast healing 5. If you're fast healing 5 is a lot. Yes. If you're a vampire, he gets a list of abilities, uh, but we're just talking about vampires, so we're not going to go over that. And if your animal companion or familiar is destroyed, dismissed, or lost, you may apply the effects of this feat to the replacement creature. If you are destroyed, the creature retains its undead type, but loses all other special abilities from this feat. If you have more than one animal companion or familiar, choose one of them when you select this feat and apply its effects to that creature. You may select this feat more than once. Each time you select the feat, it applies to a different animal companion or familiar. So if you only have one, you only ever need to pick one. Not as exciting for Damp Beater because I'm looking at some of the vampire effects and they're really neat. Like you can turn your animal companion to assume the gaseous form ability and things like that. Maybe talk to your GM if, if you can get those things anyway. Yeah. It's a, let's see, there's a good list of four for the four types of vampires there are. Actually, since they become the undead type, does that mean they would actually take over all um, abilities of undead, such as having no constitution score? Yep. Wow, okay, that's a little more interesting. Um, that There's a lot of benefits that go along with that, like being immune to anything ever that requires a fort save. <laughs> yep. Getting your... The bad thing is, I don't, I don't think animals have a lot of charisma, and then most of your, most of your constitution-based mathematics goes over to charisma. I think animals' charismas are typically floating around 10. Like, they're dumb and not very wise, usually, but I think typically their charisma isn't that low. But granted, it's not going to be anywhere near as high as their constitution was going to be. With the advanced race guy came racial equipment. So we're going to go over some of the racial equipment. Vampires got two mundane equipment. They got the neck guard, which costs 10 gold. Made from hardened leather, reinforced with a band of metal. This collar protects the wearer against vampire bites with more around the throat. I don't know why I did this voice. It provides plus one armor bonus to AC against vampire bites, or similar attacks that specifically target the wearer's throat. Unlike most armor bonuses, the neck guard's plus one stacks with the armor bonus of light or medium armor, but it provides no additional bonus when worn with heavy armor. I love that, because there's so many times they would make an item like this and be like, it gives you plus one armor bonus, and you're like, but that doesn't stack. And they're like, no, it's actually useful. And I was like, yay! For only 10 gold. Yeah. But it's only plus one for things that go after your throat. I know, but it, it's. I think it's cool flavor-wise, because you can describe your character as having yeah. this. It's obviously something they fear. Mm-hmm. And it actually does provide a non-useless benefit. I like this a lot. And as GM, any called shot to the neck, I would totally give the plus one for. Dampiers also have the Vampire Slayers kit. This is a 500 gold kit, so I think the most expensive one we've seen so far. It comes with 10 cloves of garlic... And that's it. It's just really gourmet garlic. <laughs> One of them is roasted. And sir, that is delicious. Eat it quick, though. It's going to go bad. It comes with four Master wo- master Woks for, you know, <laughs> roasting. <laughs> for making the- really, really good Chinese food. Four Master Woks. Wo- wait, please. Is that is that Japanese cuisine? Did I ruin everything? I don't know. Maybe. Listen, guys. I'm uncultured. <laughs> oh, wait. No. Oh, I'm uninformed on something. Ooh, I don't know every culture. Sue me. Four masterwork wooden stakes, a hammer, a silvered mirror, four vials of holy water, 
one application of silver sheen, which is like the stuff you put on your weapon to make it count as like holy and hurt vampires. I think it just makes it silver, but okay. Okay, fine, sure, silver. <laughs> and a masterwork holy symbol. It also contains numerous reagents and powders used for treating wounds, making wards, salves, and other concoctions. In addition to its general usefulness, when displayed, the Vampire Slayer's kit grants its owner a plus two bonus on all charisma-based skill checks made to investigate or seek out vampires. Great. This is, I, if I'm listening. So if you're going to be Charlie Vincent from Castlevania 64, where you're like, I'm a vampire, aren't you? You pull out the cross, and you walk towards the main character. You're like, you better fear me if you're a vampire. Oh, you didn't. I guess you're not a vampire. I guess I won't kill you. For now, <laughs> then this is the thing I'd get. Who's Charlie Vincent? Every Castlevania fan is asking because nobody played Castlevania 64 because nobody could pass the first level because the game was stupid bad. But little Caleb, that was one of the few games he had, so he played it anyway, beat it a bunch of times. Great game, I think, only because I have to think that. <laughs> uh, but it's okay. I guess if you're really going for the, um, the theme, do it. The actual price of this kit, it's interesting because I think it actually costs a little bit more than all the items put together depending on how much you think reagents and powders you're treating wounds and making pulstices is, because it's not very specific on that. But um, you're actually paying for that plus two diplomacy with that little extra money, which is actually super useful, I think. Right. Like, hey, look, look, I, you hold it out. I kill vampires. Where is vampires? Oh, vampires this way. Thank you. <laughs> it's <laughs> just, like... just find, like, a discarded box of the Vampire Slayer kit, <laughs> and, like, you don't even have any of this stuff. Just carry it around and be like, look... I use this. Kill vampires, yes. It's like those water finders. What do you call those? Oh, dowsing rod? Yeah. Except for vampires. You just hold the case out and it kind of bends and twists. There, <laughs> it, there it is. It's under the floorboards. <laughs> Here's something I want to mention that has nothing to do with a, a, a racial equipment, but it is equipment available with the advanced race guy that you know maybe you want to pick if you're going to go for some sort of bite thing. It's a cloak of fangs. You get a plus one resistance bonus on saving throws, and you can force your teeth to grow rapidly up to five times per day as a swift action, and these teeth last for one round during which you can make a bite attack, and it's a primary natural attack, 1d6 points of damage, 1d4 if you're small, if you already have a bite attack, the damage to that bite attack increases by one step. So this may be something you want to do, might fit with the theme. Interesting, good find. You're fine. I'm sorry, I'm bad at insults. <laughs> So that's the Dampire. Um, I've mentioned a couple things, but I just want to give you my, my general overview I can give you as somebody who's been playing a Dampire character for an ongoing campaign right now. I'm really enjoying him. Uh, as everybody knows, I like to make the edgy characters, even though Christian hates edgy characters. That's why we're different guys. We don't have to be the same. Um, you know, Their differences somehow make a better podcast. Hey, look at that. We don't have to all be the same. Um, it's not my fault. We're both white. And, and both Italian, actually. <laughs> now that I think about it, we're very much the same uh, ethnically. But I, I enjoy playing it. I like the concept. I always carry around with me a wand of Cure Light Wounds. I'm actually being a, um, a kineticist, but I picked the um, Blood Kineticist for obvious Ooh, themes. Super edgy. Yeah. Um, which actually helps me heal because I have uh, an ability to heal. The Water Kineticist can uh, get a healing ability. So that helps me heal. Uh, it's not pot, good energy or negative. It's just a healing, natural kind of sort of thing that helps me heal. I just enjoy playing Dampire. Obviously, I had to pay a little bit because I get minus constitution and kineticists need constitution but that's all aside the point I enjoy playing it so far I got rid of the light sensitivity because I didn't want to have to deal with RPing that and, and what it would mean in battles um, but but I've enjoyed it so far I've used this sort of lore behind it well or I think it well I've used it is what I mean I actually use it and uh, my GM's been good about you know 
buying extra books and learning more about the Empire to actually really fit it in. But it's fit well when it comes for an, a role a role playing uh, thing. I actually met my mother in game, which was crazy because I thought my mother can't be alive because of the the background of vampires. But it was just interesting, and I think it really it was a good example of how this small background and small abilities and feats and things you can pick really can you can take away with and run to make a great story. What do you think about the vampire Christian? I think they do lend themselves initially to edgy characters, which is a small problem I have with them, but that's not really the racist problem. That's people who pick it up immediately and they're like, ooh, half vampire. All right. right. Um, there's there's, I, I, there's I an th- adult way to maturely actually use them as a character. Yeah, like like you said, like uh, what happened in your story. Like These are actually pretty complex characters. They actually have a lot of you know formative issues mm-hmm. and it's actually really interesting stuff to delve into if done correctly. It just has to be handled correctly and not just... Because they, they immediately lend themselves to edgy, dead parents, hunt their own kind, hate their own kind, edgy character. Right, but I mean... When done when done properly, I think they're... Um, flavor-wise, they're amazing. Um, mechanically, they're, they're just alright. Um, I think they have some really good benefits with the whole... Uh, the, the energy drain one is just fantastic. Later levels, you have no idea how useful that is. But it's so balanced by that ability. Oh, what? Normal ways of healing don't work on me? Actually, actively hurts me. Yeah. Um, but it, obviously, that's what makes you so good at fighting undead, because any sort of unholy thing they would do against you either would heal you or not hurt you. But, you know, Paizo didn't do us a lot of favors. I didn't read all of their description, but part of it is about how, you know, they're not actually good allies, how, you know, eventually they always turn upon their friends and, you know, an alliance with the Dampier almost always leads to an ill-fated conclusion. That's like, I don't know if that's a good thing to throw to, to Ooh, just in the strange. background immediately and say, fight, fight your, fight your allies. Let's do PvP all the time. I don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to that exactly. Not that we haven't had differences in game. I mean, you know my predilection to just be the worst kind of player. But um, <laughs> I don't think that helped, and I totally didn't take that from Paizo. I had a I had a character that was a Dampier, and it was a hunt-his-own-kind kind of thing. Yep, yep. Um, and something, it, like just being able to pick up a wand of inflict light wounds, and he had the ability to use it without making a check, kind of just nullified the whole negative energy affinity. The only time it ever came up was, like, early in the game, like, someone came up to them and had the ability to channel positive energy, and they are all hurt, so he offered to heal them, and of course he had to weasel his way out of it, because he was trying to hide the fact he was Dampier. <laughs> you know, it's also expensive, especially if you want to get a high caster level on that wand, though. Yeah. But yeah, I like it, and I do think that um, while they don't have a lot of flexibility like most of the other races that we've gone over so far where you can really trade out and still stay flavorful, the stuff that they get without even alternate racial traits or feats or anything is pretty flavorful for them. But whether they live to, whether uh, adults at 110 or 15, we'll never know until I (laughs) unbox that thing. But it's not like I'm going to re-edit this episode. You'll just have to go through my old Twitter feed. Dun, dun, dun. Um, I'm sure whenever it comes up, I'll mention it on whatever race we're doing then. But this is 11 RP, by the way. I like to mention how much, how many uh, RP, if you don't remember what that is. That's at the, advanced, at the end of the advanced race guide. You can create races by spending race points, and these cost 11, which makes them a little more powerful than our catfolk we went over, but less powerful than the Asimar, which most will be. What was uh, catfolk? Nine? Nine. I think. Yes. German for no. <laughs> I'm clever. I know lots of things. Next is the Drow, the Dark Elves. We get to see how they distinguish them from normal elves. And uh, look forward to that. Anything else to say about the Dampire? Nah, I think that's it. Please they, tell me how to pronounce it. What? Dan- uh, you, know what you know what? Let's let's see if Google pronounces it for us. Oh, nice Google adventure, guys. 
da, 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 da. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, there's a Wikipedia entry. They're from Balkan folklore. Interesting. I don't know what a Balkan is. <laughs> don't know. We're going into a hole. It'll just continue further and further into things we don't know. Balkan, that's in Yugoslavia. Where's Yugoslavia? De- it comes from the words demi and vampire for half and Serbian for vampire, but it doesn't have a pronunciation key, so I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. Te- guys, tell us with an email or something if you do know what it is. What's our email? We'll listen to the kind words of our intro- outro man to find out. Thank you all for listening. Class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great Pathfinder podcasts, visit our site, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? You can email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. I've been Nicholas Laborde. Thanks for listening. Hey, Brian, you want to play role-playing games tonight? I can't. My body's trapped in this strange membrane. Wow, should I take you to a doctor? Nah, it feels really good. Just put my earbuds in. No, that's just wrong. But here at Tales from the Lich, we're all right. When you can't play, listen. TalesFromTheLich.com <sighs> That's just wrong. <laughs>